Welcome to the Confluence of Ideas, a Confluence Investment Management podcast focusing on key geopolitical trends and their investment implications. Today, we discuss the rivalry between the United States and China over the future of Taiwan. It is a rivalry with a potentially profound impact on geopolitical relationships in financial markets. Our guests are Confluence Chief Market Strategist Bill O'Grady and Confluence Market Strategist Patrick Theron-Hernandez. Bill and Patrick have both written analysis on uh, Taiwan in recent weeks. These reports are available under the Weekly Geopolitical Report tab on the front page of confluenceinvestment.com. Bill and Patrick, this rivalry between the U.S. and China seems to have sharpened recently on many fronts, including Taiwan. Is Taiwan at the top of the list among contention points? The Economist magazine recently described Taiwan as the most dangerous place on earth. There are other areas of the world that are probably more contentious. After all, the Ukraine government in Kiev is in control of all of its territory due to incursions from Russian-supported insurgents. And Syria is still at war. But there is probably no part of the world that is this tense that is so critical to the global economy. Yeah, I I would agree. It's just about the easiest place to imagine a dangerous conflict breaking out between China and the U.S. Well, the more I look at this issue of Taiwan, the more complicated it seems. Beijing regards Taiwan as a province of the People's Republic of China. What does this mean exactly? And Patrick, perhaps we could begin with you in responding to this question. Is this similar to the United States' relationship to Puerto Rico or to Guam? No, those probably aren't good corollaries. For one thing, neither of them is a state. So U.S. leaders don't necessarily see them as integral parts of the country. In addition, neither of them is a major economic powerhouse with industries critical to the global economy, which further makes it difficult to see them as integral components to the country. And finally, neither of them is a breakaway territory that's trying to assert its independence. From the perspective of the Chinese leadership, Taiwan is all three of those things. It has historically been an integral part of China. It has major global leading companies in areas such as semiconductors and other high-tech electronics. And it's considered a breakaway province that's looking for independence. With all that in mind, it's no surprise that Chinese leaders are intent on reunifying it with the mainland. Perhaps a better way of thinking about Taiwan is that the government in Taipei was a government in exile. That's where the nationalists fled after Mao won the Civil War in the late 1940s. For years, the nationalist legislature had representatives for all the mainland provinces. The island was either China's or under China or Japan's control over the past 150 years, and China was granted control after World War II. But really, the fiction that exists for both governments is to claim that they are the sole legitimate government of China. Does Taiwan's location play on Chinese fears of invasion the same way that Cuba stalked U.S. concerns back in the 1960s? 
In some sense, yes, although it's not so much a fear of Taiwan being used as an invasion launching pad by the Taiwanese government or by the U.S. And it's not so much a fear that Taiwan would host offensive weaponry targeting the Chinese mainland. In terms of location, probably the key issue is that Taiwan is strategically situated close to China's vitally important sea lanes. With access to Taiwan, the U.S. is in a much better position to bottle up China's seaborne commerce and naval activity. For Chinese leaders, the political imperative of reunifying Taiwan with the mainland as a way of asserting China's territorial integrity is still the most important consideration. But the strategic problem presented by U.S. access to the Chinese sea lanes is also quite important. Yeah, Patrick's dead right on this. It isn't so much that Taiwan would be a springboard for invasion as much as it would be much more difficult for Beijing to project power into waters off the coast as long as Taiwan isn't under its control. Patrick and Bill, what is the formal relationship between Taiwan and the United States? Is the U.S. in any way committed by law to protect Taiwan from mainland Chinese military threats? even while acknowledging that Taiwan is a province of China? I'll I'll start out with this one. The U.S.-Taiwan relationship is governed by the Taiwan Relations Act of 1979. And under it, the U.S. is to treat Taiwan in the same way that it treats foreign countries, nations, states, and governments. But it doesn't see Taiwan as an independent country. When it comes to defense policy, the act neither guarantees nor prohibits U.S. assistance to defend the island from aggression. This is the essence of strategic ambiguity as a way to keep China guessing about what the U.S. would do in the event of an invasion or blockade, and as a way to discourage the Taiwanese from unilaterally declaring independence. Importantly, however, the act also requires the U.S. to provide Taiwan with the military goods and services it needs to defend itself. I want to reiterate, this notion of strategic ambiguity is is important. Strategic ambiguity is probably best defined as two parties saying exactly the same thing but holding a different meaning. And so China and the U.S. say the same words, but they don't necessarily mean the same thing. It seems that for many years, both the U.S. and China were willing to accept some ambiguity regarding the status of Taiwan, but both countries are less willing to do that now. Is this correct? The policy of strategic ambiguity is indeed being chipped at these days. As China has become stronger militarily and economically, and in terms of its own confidence, some foreign policy thinkers have argued that the U.S. should abandon this ambiguity and fully commit to defending Taiwan. More to the point, the Trump administration and the Biden administration have taken steps to interact more formally with the Taiwanese government as a way of signaling a stronger U.S. commitment to the island. All the same, the policy of ambiguity hasn't yet been formally renounced. Yeah, the policy debate in the U.S. to abandon strategic ambiguity is mostly among policy experts, but it is critically important. Guaranteeing the U.S. would defend Taiwan would likely be treated as an act of war by Beijing, and so I doubt that strategic ambiguity will be dropped unless China were to do something like set a deadline for Taipei to join the People's Republic and formally end the Republic of China. 
We have an event going on right now that's certainly being felt across the world here in the United States, and this is the worldwide shortage of advanced semiconductor chips. How has this shortage affected Chinese and U.S. aspirations toward Taiwan? Well, in essence, the chip shortage has made Taiwan look even more important in the eyes of both the Chinese and, and the U.S. Chinese leaders now can't see Taiwan as just a political issue touching on China's sovereignty or a military issue touching on China's national security. Now, they also have to see Taiwan as a choke point in the supply of critical technology goods. Seeing the negative impacts of the chip shortage, Chinese leaders have a greater incentive to secure Taiwanese chip supplies for China and to keep them from the U.S. and its allies. By the same token, U.S. leaders now more fully understand the importance of having access to Taiwanese technology production and being able to keep parts of that production from going to China. This realization has become especially clear now that people realize that Taiwan is almost the only source for the cutting-edge chips used in today's most advanced computing and telecom applications. You know, another interesting facet of the semiconductor is that Taiwan's leaders believe that its critical role in technology gives it protection from China and will keep the U.S. interested in defending them. Thus, maintaining this technological choke point is in Taipei's best interest. What are China's present goals regarding Taiwan? I would say the ultimate goal is to reunify Taiwan with the mainland politically, militarily, and economically, and to do so by force if necessary. However, Chinese leaders now have a very high appreciation for the importance of Taiwan's computer chip production facilities and other aspects of the island's high technology industry. Until China becomes more successful in developing its own indigenous chip industry that can produce the cutting-edge semiconductors it needs, China must also prioritize protecting those Taiwanese chip factories as functioning entities. Even if China were to take control of Taiwan, whether forcibly or peacefully, we think Chinese leaders would want to keep Taiwan's chip industry functioning as much as possible as it is today. And what are the present U.S. goals regarding Taiwan? Well, a top U.S. goal is probably to preserve Taiwan's independence and avoid a crisis that would force the U.S. to choose between a deadly, risky military conflict with China or shying away and losing defense credibility with our allies in Asia. That explains why the U.S. has been strengthening its diplomatic and economic ties with Taiwan. But now that U.S. leaders have such a high appreciation for the importance of Taiwan's chip production facilities, we've also seen how they've taken steps to cut China off from some Taiwanese chip supplies. During the Trump administration, for example, the U.S. issued rules that prevented the sale of products using U.S. components or intellectual property to Chinese telecom giant Huawei on national security grounds. In effect, that prevented Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Corporation, or TSMC, from selling its world-leading chips to Huawei.
Finally, in terms of making sure the U.S. retains access to cutting-edge Taiwanese semiconductors, U.S. officials have recently pressured TSMC to invest billions of dollars in up to six new chip factories in Arizona. TSMC has already bought the land for these facilities just north of Phoenix, and the company is proceeding with the, the project right now. Taking into account TSMC's current factory in Washington state, the construction of all those factories would mean that the U.S. would have almost as many TSMC chip-making plants as Taiwan itself. And, and I'd like to point out that that is important because the more the U.S. can diversify its semiconductor supply chain, the less likely it would be to protect Taiwan in a Chinese military action. That isn't to say that the U.S. would abandon Taiwan. After all, China's control of Taiwan upsets the geopolitical status quo in the region the U.S. prefer to maintain. But the need to aid Taiwan would be less if the semiconductor production is diversified. Bill and Patrick, what are China's options to achieve its goals in Taiwan? Well, as China has built up its economic and military power, it has increasingly gained the ability to seize Taiwan by force if necessary. As we've written before, the Chinese military is now capable enough that it could potentially discourage the U.S. from intervening if it tried to launch an invasion of the island. But to reiterate, such an approach would run the risk of damaging or destroying those critical chip production facilities on Taiwan. Therefore, we think China would also be considering lower key moves such as a naval blockade or quarantine on the island in order to bring it to heel. Of course, in spite of President Xi's apparent impatience to reunify Taiwan, he could decide to pursue something more like China's traditional geopolitical approach that involves gaining power and influence slowly and gradually, almost imperceptibly, by peaceful means like fuller economic integration or influence campaigns. The other consideration is that China doesn't have much experience in actual conventional warfare. The last hot war it fought was in the late 1970s against Vietnam, and the performance in the conflict was less than impressive. On paper, as Patrick has shown this year, the People's Liberation Army is impressive, but it isn't battle-tested, and so we would expect a degree of caution from Beijing. U.S. options may depend on, on the course of action the Chinese government undertakes. Can we calculate the most likely Chinese action? Well, we suspect China would most likely opt for the subtler, more creeping approach of taking control of Taiwan over time, or perhaps even imposing some form of naval blockade or quarantine to put pressure on the island. Because of the geopolitical risks and the chance of damaging those critical Taiwanese chip-making factories, we think Chinese leaders are less likely to embark on a big military operation like an outright invasion. Another option China could use would be to invade and control small islands that are currently under the control of Taiwan. This would not be an optimal strategy, but it is another possibility. Taking small islands would undermine Taiwan's sovereignty and give the uh, People's Liberation Army practice in amphibious operations. An outright amphibious assault on Taiwan is possible, but much less likely. Something to worry about, could China underestimate a U.S. response, and, and is military confrontation a legitimate possibility? 
Well, indeed, Chinese leaders already seem to be underestimating U.S. resolve. The rhetoric coming out of Beijing suggests that President Xi and many other Chinese leaders really do believe that the U.S. and its liberal democratic allies are on the decline and that China is ascendant. That may be making them overly confident. If so, they're probably underestimating not only the U.S.'s latent military, economic, and cultural strengths, but also U.S. leaders' understanding that failure to protect Taiwan would be devastating to U.S. credibility around the world. U.S. leaders certainly understand that if they fail to protect Taiwan from Chinese aggression, no country could feel that it could rely on the U.S. anymore, and many would be tempted to cozy up to China instead. In other words, there's a significant risk of miscalculation here. And, of course, that explains why The Economist magazine regards Taiwan as the most dangerous place on Earth. Uh, Gentlemen, the U.S.-China rivalry is playing out under a changing geopolitical environment as we see countries turn to more protectionist policies and as the United States shrinks from a role as the world's policeman. This is an issue that you've written quite a bit about in your commentaries. Is this problematic for financial markets? That's actually one of the key messages here. Both China and the U.S. would like to have Taiwan in their camp and cut the adversary off from Taiwan's chip industry. That's happening in other industries as well, with the result that these geopolitical forces are trending toward the establishment of two competing political economic blocs that would operate more or less independently of each other. By definition, such a division of the world would mark the rollback of globalization and all the economic efficiencies that it has brought. If global supply chains were severed in this way, it would have many economic and financial impacts, such as reducing the size of the markets available to firms, increasing costs, and perhaps making it harder to raise capital for expansion. Global economic growth would likely be slower than it otherwise would be, while inflation would be higher. In any case, it would probably be a negative for company finances around the world. Here's another way to think about this. If one were really worried about geopolitical risk, you would not have structured the semiconductor industry in the fashion that it has developed. Instead, you'd have to have supreme confidence in continued American hegemony to allow Taiwan to be a choke point in what may be the most critical component for the modern world. This situation developed due to the efficiency it brings, but there's an underlying assumption of stability that is probably not justified. Finally, Bill and Patrick, would you say that if present geopolitical trends continue, countries around the world may feel forced to choose sides between China and the United States? Well, I think that's exactly at risk. And if countries are forced to choose sides, it means they'll no longer be fully globalized. Instead, the markets their companies enjoy may be limited to their own block with negative implications for the global economy and global investors. The rest of Asia in particular wants the protection that the U.S. provides, but the economic dynamism that China offers. Choosing the U.S. means slower growth. Choosing China means neo-imperial domination. China's recent behavior toward Australia is informative on this point. That point could start to affect nations beyond the Far East over time. Thank you, Bill and Patrick. 
It's time to say our report is based upon sources and data believed to be accurate and reliable. We want to state that opinions and forward-looking statements expressed are subject to change without notice, and this information does not constitute a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security. Our guests have been Confluence Chief Market Strategist Bill O'Grady and Confluence Market Strategist Patrick Fearon Hernandez. Our engineer is Dane Stoll. I'm Phil Adler. Our website is confluenceinvestment.com and you can find us on Twitter at Confluence IM.